This morning we're getting into uh, the book of James. We're going to start hunkering down and, and getting into the heart of this book. And uh, even though it's only so many chapters, there is a lot of meat <laughs> in this book. There's a, there's a ton of practical application, day-to-day application. So we're going to take this book bit by bit, piece by piece. And I'm so excited for the message this morning as we'll be in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So uh, when you get there, if you could please stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it, and I just pray that uh, the Lord uh, would bless you mightily, and that is, uh, His face would shine upon you as we go through this message this morning. Once again, we're in James chapter 1, verses 1 down through 4. This message is entitled, Faith Tested. Faith Tested. Starting in verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking Nothing. That's a mouthful right there. (laughs) All right, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we need you. We need you to give us the ability to count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. Lord, there's no way that we can do this in and of our own selves, in and of our own strength. It just doesn't work. But Lord, nothing is impossible, meaning nothing is impossible in honoring you and living for you and glorifying you when we do it in the name of Jesus Christ with the right intention and with the right heart. So Father, I pray that as we spend this time that we have together unpacking your word, that you would speak to every heart here, that you would Speak distinctly and clearly to each individual, wherever they're at, Lord, that they would know that you are the one revealing this to them. Lord, I pray that it would not be of of man's doing, of man's hands, of man's thinking, but that it would be the Holy Spirit moving upon this place and these individuals and that we would receive with gladness, Lord, the direction that you have for us this morning. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you that we get to... uh, partake in this and that we get to hear your instruction lord it's the most important thing in all of our lives is to hear from you and to have that anointing to live out our lives in the way you would have us to live them so father we praise you and we ask this all in jesus christ's precious name amen Amen. all right so as i said this morning we're going to take a closer look at what it means to be a servant of god you know That word servant isn't too appealing in our culture. It's not what people think about when they think about a profession or a career. I want to be a servant? Nah, man. I want to be the one being served, right? That's kind of how the thinking is in our society. But we're going to take a look at what it means to be a servant of the Most High God and how we can experience joy in the midst of our trials. How many people like trials? Raise your hands. Good. Nobody raised their hands. I'd be like, man, we're going to talk after service if you like trials. (laughs) But we must understand, saints, that God's kingdom is completely opposite from how this world operates. Completely a total different direction. How the kingdom of God goes and how it operates. You shouldn't be surprised, but... Some Christians who profess their allegiance to Jesus Christ are actually shocked (laughs) when they realize that they are called to have joy in the midst of trials. They're like, what? Are you you serious? Where does it say this? Nobody told them. They they just thought that it's just just all good. And, and, And they try to, they try to, navigate around trials as much as they can. You see, but they fail to realize 
that, that again, having joy in the midst of trials, it can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit living within them, right? It cannot be done in their own strength. But so many times, so many Christians are, are beating their head up against a brick wall, trying to figure out why they can't get through this circumstance or this situation or why they are suffering so much, but they are doing things in their own strength. They haven't taken the yoke of Jesus Christ upon themselves. They haven't casted all their cares upon them or they cast their cares upon them. And then a moment later, when they get off their knees from prayer, they pick it back up and they go back out and they continue to live as if they did not have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm never here to say that it's easy because it's clearly not. That's why many are called, but, you know, few or many, many are called, but few respond because it's not an easy thing to follow after Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Even though it's difficult, it is possible. It is possible. And honestly, for us as true followers of Jesus Christ, it is the only option that you and I have to really endure the trials of life victoriously. So you can endure trials, but you are not victorious. <laughs> I know what it, and I'm sure you know what it feels like to endure trials, but you're not victorious. You see, you endure trials victoriously through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. Amen. He's the one that gives you the joy. He's the one that gives you the ability to cope with the difficulties of life and not give up or give in to the temptations and the trials that you face on a regular basis. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no way. And if you do for a season, the next season you're so burnt out, you get ran through the next trial you go through. It's because when you do it in your own strength, you cannot muster. This is a fun fact for you. Of the 108 verses in the book of James, the book that we're in, 54 of those verses, that's half, contain imperative verbs. Anyone who's well-versed in the English language, you know what an imperative verb means. For those of us who don't, I'll tell you. That's okay. That's why we're here. It means as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to action. We are called to action. That's what an imperative verb means. It doesn't mean hear it and take it, store it in the databank, and don't do nothing with it. Absolutely not. It means the exact opposite. It means when you hear the command, when you hear the teaching of the Lord through his word, you and I are called to act upon it. And not when we feel like it, not in three and a half weeks when our calendar schedule opens it up and we have free time to do it. We do it immediately. Immediately. That means right now in your seat, right now when you get out of this building, right when you get home, wherever you go, you apply the knowledge that's been given to you, and it becomes wisdom. Knowledge unapplied makes you a foolish person. You and I don't want to be foolish people living under the banner of Jesus Christ. That, that label of foolishness has been taken off from us, and now we are new creations in Christ. I don't care if you went to school or not. You can be one of the wisest people in the world just by simply obeying the Lord. There's many people that are straight, utter fools who have doctorate degrees, who are valedictorian of whatever, whatever, but they are foolish in their thinking, and all they've amassed is worldly knowledge, philosophy, man's understanding. I don't want man's understanding. I want God's revelation. I don't care how many degrees you have. It doesn't compare to the holy canon of Scripture and what Scripture reveals to mankind. It shows us how we are to live. Again, the Bible, what? Basic instructions before leaving earth. It tells us how we operate the best. And when we don't 
operate in the manner in which the Bible shows us, you can be prepared. You are going to face even more hardships. Everyone faces, believers, non-believers, we all face various trials of many kinds. But for the believer, we have the advantage of the Holy Spirit living within us. And so we as believers should fare through trials far better than non-believers. Because they don't have the supernatural power of the Almighty God living and working within them to help them navigate through the difficulties of life. We have several main points this morning. And the first one is this. A true follower of Jesus Christ never, hear me, never pulls rank. Or should I say a true mature follower of Jesus Christ never pulls rank, but merely humbles themselves before God and men. This is very important. Because the Lord will not work through pride. He won't. The Pharisees were extremely prideful. The Lord did not work through them. They had all the law. They had all the knowledge. But knowledge without application is foolishness. It's nothing. You know, this Bible, I, I, I love when my wife shares this. We had, a, we had a great family meeting. I won't get into it because I'm not supposed to, but... Um, you know, we were able to share the gospel with family members that desperately needed to hear it. And it was an intervention. It was a real thing that went down Friday night. But she made a mention and she said, this book is not going to keep you from sinning. You can read this book cover to cover every day of your life and it's not going to keep you from sinning. But sin will keep you from this book. The shame and the guilt of sin will keep you from opening up this book. What that, what that saying means is, until you and I determine it in our heart of hearts and say we are going to truly dedicate our lives through and through to Jesus Christ, nothing's going to work. You see, yes, God can supernaturally make you obedient, but that's not his way because now it's not free will anymore. You're just a robot. He's looking for any individual, Jew or Gentile, who's willing to submit their lives before him all in all. The whole shebang, the whole enchilada, not withholding anything, saying, Lord, I have your way in my life. Now, when you do that, be prepared for the floodgates of heaven to open up. You're going to experience revelation of God that you've never knew existed because of your willingness to submit and obey. And it becomes something where you just, you're just growing in adoration of Him and your hunger and your desire for righteousness just grows and grows. It no longer becomes a chore to get on your knees and pray. It no longer becomes a chore to open up the book of the Bible, but you, you hunger and you thirst for it. There's no prejudices in you anymore because the Holy Spirit's taking up residence in your life and you get down with people you would have never thought you'd get down with because you're doing it in the name of the Lord. And all the things you were led by, you're led in the truth of God because it edifies you and it brings glory to His name. But this, this is all points to this first point. A true believer in Jesus Christ never pulls rank. But they humble themselves before God and before men. You see, this James we're speaking of was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Many biblical scholars believe that he did not believe Jesus as Lord until after his resurrection. When the risen Christ appeared to him. Later on, James became the leader, one of the leaders of the church of Jerusalem in the days of Pentecost. He was known as James the Just because of his well-known holiness. You see, he had a reputation of living above reproach. He walked circumspectly. He made no, uh, no avenue for anything wrong to be said of him. And that's how we are to live as believers today. Don't leave an opportunity for someone to come out and say this and that against you. If they do, they do it simply because they're just hating you and they hate God, but you're not giving them opportunity. You're not giving them ammunition by the way you live or the things you say. The things you say are holy. The way you live is holy. You're righteous in all your dealings. You're, as 
gentle as a dove and as, as shrewd and wise as a serpent, is what the Bible says we are to live in this world. That he was known for his, his well-known holiness. You see, James could have easily opened up this letter by stating, James, the son of the Virgin Mary, <laughs> brother of none other than Jesus Christ. You already know. <laughs> you already know who I am because you know my kin. I grew up with him. I knew him way before he was famous. You know, you see it all throughout social media. You see it through all different uh, parts of society. People cling to people that are in the limelight. It's called an entourage. And, and, and you can't tell who's who. You can't tell who's really for you or who's just with you because you're supposed to be somebody. But what happens 10 times out of 10 when everything goes down and you lose it all, and you lose the stardom, you lose the fame, you lose the accolades, you lose the income. Many of those people disappear. They scatter away like roaches, like the roaches they are. Because they weren't never for you. They were for what you had, or what you obtained, or what you could do for them, or the prestige. It's not good to have a lot of people. Sometimes it's good to have a few friends. Maybe have many associates, but only have a few friends. Because you need to test the spirit and see who is for you and who is against you. You see, James, along with his brother Jude, both opened up their letters by calling themselves bond, bond servants. The word simply means slaves and refers to those who are the property of their masters. They consider themselves slaves to Christ. They had no rights. They lived to do their master's will. Let me ask you a question right now. What do you consider yourself to Christ? Are you a bond servant? Are you a slave to Christ? Does your life reflect that of a slave to its master? Or, or, or do you have a... Do you have a, 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 a touch-and-go relationship with the Lord, right? Where, where, where you call upon God when it's convenient, but you're not really dwelling with Him. You see, we are called to dwell with the Lord, meaning in all our dealings, meaning when it's bad, we're with Him. When it's good, we call upon Him. We don't want to have this distant relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we suffer in the end. And the people around us suffer in the end. But when you walk closely with the Lord Jesus Christ, once you are converted, it's, there's nothing can compare with it. Nothing can compare. You have joy. You have true peace. You have true revelation and understanding. You begin to digest this word and this word becomes who you are. It becomes such a part of your life that you cannot disattach from the word of God. And what comes out of your mouth when you speak to people is the truth of the gospel. Because it is so embedded in you because you commune with Jesus Christ daily. I mean... We're going to be with him for eternity anyways. Why wait until you die and are called to go to heaven to start getting raw and real with Jesus Christ? Do it now and experience and enjoy it now and just see the great things that he will do in and through your life. You know, so many people's lives around us, around ours, will be touched if we simply commune with the Lord. It's not about what those elements are in the back. Yes, that, that's, that's part of it. That's a cosmetic thing. But it's supposed to invoke in us the reality of this is a day-to-day, moment-to-moment, second-by-second relationship we have with God. I mean, you know, once you give your life to the Lord, you, never, you can never lose the Holy Spirit. But what happens is we end up grieving Him and, 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 and then it's not a good thing. Or we become so detached from the Lord and we feed our flesh so much that we can't hear the small, still voice anymore. 
And we're wondering, what happened? Where did he go? God didn't go nowhere. We went somewhere. But look, the solution is, is simple. And I'm so glad and I'm so grateful that he's so gracious to us that he's just like, turn around. <laughs> Repent. <laughs> it's all good. I love you. I got you. Come back to the fold, you know. And, 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 but this is something, again, we have to be honest with ourselves, church. And we have to, to take an assessment of where we are spiritually. Don't just let your spiritual life go on autopilot. That's the worst thing you could possibly do. I'm not telling you to be uh, legalistic, but I am telling you and encouraging you to develop spiritual disciplines in your life. Praying every day is very important. Being in the Word every day is very important. It's more important than checking up on your 401k. It's more important than checking up on your stocks and bonds. It's more important than checking out whatever's on the web or the San Jose Mercury News. All that stuff can wait. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Don't worry about the weather. Get in God's Word. (laughs) Get in God's Word. It's the best thing you could do for your life. You see... By mentioning that God and Jesus Christ are on equal terms and adding Lord, the Lord of the Old Testament, the word of God to Jesus, James is affirming the deity of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 8 tells us, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equally, equitably, excuse me, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, it, 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 it points it out extremely perfectly clear how we are supposed to live. If our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ emptied himself, he humbled himself, and he was obedient to the point of death, what do you think that means for you and me? We are to do the same. You see, the Lord is going to be concerned with what we did with Christ, where we were at, where he called us to. You know, and, and that's what I'm, I'm beginning to learn more and more. You know, you're, you're in the position you're in with the family you're around, with the people you're around, because you're supposed to open your mouth and be a witness. Be the best table setter you could possibly be for those around you. Because the reality is, if not today, then when? We keep putting it on the back burner. Oh, I don't want to talk to them about it. I, I don't want to ruffle their feather. Oh, they're just going to... We have to understand, you see... The Lord God Almighty is the ultimate at being able to multitask. He's multitasking thousands of things at once. He's, look at, when, 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 when Peter went to Cornelius' house, the Lord was working on Peter at the perfect time. He was working on Cornelius at the perfect time. Had the Lord not revealed to Peter in that vision what the Lord was showing Peter, Peter wouldn't have responded and then he needed to use Peter because Peter was a prime candidate. He was, he was one of the main leaders of the church. And if people saw him inviting Gentile or going into a Gentile home and spending the night with a Gentile, then they would begin to understand. But you see, Cornelius' guards came to Peter's house at just the right time. If they would have came too late, Peter would have said, That's, that wasn't a vision from God, that was a nightmare. And I don't believe it. But it came at the precise time. And the Lord softened Peter's heart at the right time in Cornelius's. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came into Cornelius and all his family. And all those Gentiles got saved. That went from the Jews to the half-breeds, the Samaritans, to the straight Gentiles. So it's full circle. Now the Holy Spirit's for any and everybody. Whoever would receive him and invite Jesus Christ into their hearts receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
So you see, for us today, when you look at your situation and your circumstances, you're still on this earth for a reason because the Lord wants you to open up your mouth. There's family members or there's people around you that you think there's no way in the world they could possibly get saved. But the Lord is working on their hearts and he's putting you in their sphere of influence and them in yours so you guys can converge and you could share the truth of the gospel to them so that they may get saved. Don't think in terms of your own understanding. What does the word say? Lean not on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all your heart, and He will make straight your paths. I, I will share it briefly in indiscretion, but you know, the other night when we, we were called to, to, to have this meeting, I mean, I had no idea. And my wife's like, What are you doing? Jotting down notes, you're cutting and pasting pieces from the Bible. I said, You know, this is just how I operate. She's like, you know, the Lord, the Holy Spirit's going to bring to remembrance what you're going to say. Don't don't. She's like, don't don't make it mechanical. I said, babe, I'm not making it mechanical. That's how I that's why I have notes up here. I go off the notes, but I also go off what the Holy Spirit shows me. But it was amazing to me. This is another situation where on a moment's notice. I mean, just verse after verse after verse after summary after summary. And it was spot on. There's no way I could have done that by myself. That was the Holy Spirit leading me in the truth of Scripture to reveal the fact that we're all broken. So the Lord showed me, start with that. The person is in the situation they're in because they're broken. <laughs> they're, we're all broken. But then go from brokenness to the fact that there's a hope and you can be brought back from brokenness and made whole. And then it show the examples and then show what is the, what, what is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then ended it off with something else. But I, I just share that to say, this is what the Lord does. You know, and he does it for a reason because he loves partnering with people. He loves partnering with people. He, he could call an angel down and an angel can, can minister to somebody. And, and, and just the fear and the dread of that angel. Me and Daniel were talking about this in prayer, you know. Uh, Hollywood's horrible at their depiction of angels. Angels are not fat, chubby babies with wings. They are creatures that would make you scared to death. That's why every account in the Bible, the angel says, do not fear. When the angel appeared to Cornelius, he's a hardened man of war. He shed much blood. I don't know if you've shed blood before, but he shed blood and he shed blood multiple times. So after taking so many people's lives, you would think your heart, can be, your heart can become hard and callous and you're not scared of much. But this man was fearful like a baby at the sight of, uh, 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 of this angelic being. Humility. So important. The Lord will work through the humble. but He despises the proud. You need wisdom? Ask and he'll give freely. He'll give you what you need when you need it according to his will. And that's the and, and you just give glory to God because it's like, it's not me. <laughs> he gave me that wisdom. I only share what I share because the Lord gives me that wisdom. Trust me, you'll know when it's coming from my lips and my mind because it ain't going to be that bright. <laughs> but when it's from the Lord, it will impact your life because it's the Holy Spirit speaking through his chosen vessel. All right. The second main point is this. Followers of Jesus Christ must we must learn to count it joy when we face trials of life the word count is a financial term and it means to evaluate when james says to count it all joy he encourages us to evaluate the way you and i look at trials how are we viewing the present circumstances of our lives it's not going the way you want it hurts it's painful it seems like it's not fair but how are you viewing that? How am I viewing that? He calls believers to develop a new and improved attitude that considers trials from God's perspective. You see, saints, perspective is everything. If our perspective is skewed, then everything else we base our perception off of is going to be off course. But if our perspective is dead center biblical, how the Lord would have us to think, what does the Bible say? Take upon the mind of Christ. Keep on the new Adam, which is Jesus Christ. Never take him off. 
That's the whole point of being in the word and communing with the Lord on a regular basis. You begin to think and process life through the mind of Christ, through the word of God, which is living and active. And when you do this, you begin to see the trials that you go through through the perspective of God, not your flesh, not your emotions. You see, James wants believers to know to expect trials of various kinds in the Christian life. We should be prepared for these things, church, and not caught off guard when sudden trials come upon us. Trials are part of the Christian experience. John chapter 16, verse 33 says, I have said these things to you that in me, speaking of Jesus Christ, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There you go. He, t- he pulls no punch. Again, there is no fine print in the Christian faith. He tells us straight up, man, things are going to happen. It's going to go down. It's going to be difficult. It's not this fake, whimsical, fluffy, emotional. I'm not saying that you don't have seasons of joy and peace, but we're talking about spiritual maturity here, saints, where you can experience this same joy and this same peace in the midst of turmoil. How does somebody with stage four cancer that's about to, 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 to end their life and, and, and be done with this physical life here, how, how do they count it all joy? When loved ones and family members and people they care about are coming, flooding the hospital room and you know, all the different things. How do they count it joy? And some will say, well, they just don't want to be in pain no more. I mean, you know, yeah, that may be part of it in, in, in the physical realm. But mentally, emotionally, spiritually, how do they cope? How do they have joy? How do they have peace in the midst of going through all that? They got someone else on the inside giving them the strength, girded up in truth. To deal with that and to see that there's something better, that it's okay, that this is not the end. This is just the send off into (laughs) to pass from this chasm to the next. But when you don't have the Holy Spirit living within you, when you have stage four cancer, you're just dreadful and fearful the whole way. There's no hope. There's no hope. All right. The third main point is this. We tend to grow more spiritually when our faith is tested. We, we tend to grow more when we go through the difficulties of life. You see, it's all about faith and it's all about trusting in God. It's all about trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to respond to trials, to the hard things in, of our lives in a way that demonstrates our trust in him. The way that we live, it shows there's fruit that reveals that we're trusting in the Lord. A major theme in the book of James is that God cares deeply about our faith in him. Just think about it. Faith, a trusting, humble reliance on God is how we came into a relationship with him in the first place, right? I mean, you had to trust. (laughs) You had to believe that he was who he says he is. And so you said, okay, Lord God, I submit to you. Um, people use this analogy all the time. We have faith to believe that the, 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 chair that you, the chairs you guys are sitting in are going to hold you up. We have faith that the light switch is going to uh, uh, create uh, electricity, and so we turn on the light switch. We use faith all the time in all kind of you know, physical things, tangible things. Faith needs to be exemplified and used in our spiritual lives in that same manner. A childlike faith. You know, a child has faith that their guardian or their parent is, has their well-being in mind and is going to care for them. They don't think twice like, man, this person's going to touch me somewhere I don't want to be touched or this person's not going to take care of me. They believe that you have their best interests and I have their best interests in heart. That is the same kind of faith that God is calling you and me to today this morning to have a childlike faith, to just trust him that he is who he says he is and he is going to make everything right. Amen? Amen. A Christian's growing faith in God is evident of a growing relationship with him. That's how you can verify whether or not you're growing spiritually. Where's your faith? 
If you find yourself stumbling over the same thing you've been stumbling over for the last 25 years, dare I say you're not growing spiritually. We should have growth, church. Second Peter verse, Second uh, Peter chapter one verses five through eight tells us: For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness, excuse me, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, there, there you go. That's the game plan on how to grow spiritually. Straight up right there. And, and, and it's going to keep you and you're going to increase. And it's going to keep you from being ineffective for the Lord's kingdom. You know, but we have to apply these principles. We have to apply this information that is revealed to us through Scripture, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and ask Him, right? It's not just having a, a mental capacity to, to intake it and comprehend it, but it's like, Lord, I need your anointing. I pray for the Lord's anointing all the time. Like, Lord, please pour out your anointing upon my life. Help me to be the man that you've called me to be. And, you know, He, he will bless you. You know, the, we, you want that anointing. That anointing is what moves upon people and, and, and breaks down what you and I can't break down. It's the anointing and the power of God that softens a person's heart and causes them to be convicted and see the error in their ways. And then they, now it's up to them to respond, either to receive Christ or reject him. But you want that anointing. You can have that today. Just ask. <laughs> ask. And he gives. He'll give the measure that he sees fit to give you. But you see, God's not going to give you more if you haven't even done with what he's already given you to move in the first place. We want more and more and more, but it's like, man, he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Where are you at? And, 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 and I'm so grateful for my wife. She truly is a helpmate because the Lord reveals many things through her that help me and confirm certain things. And it's like, yes. And it's like, it's bar I'm barely getting into a season where it's like, it really is all about people. <laughs> this, 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 is, this is important, but this is so not what it's about. Like, this is important. Don't get me wrong. We are never to forsake the meeting of the saints, but it's, it's, it's being involved. That's why I love the fact that Scott opened up his home and the men have a place where we can come together. And again, all people are only going to be accountable for what you're accountable for. If you show up and you're silent, then you know, I get it. You know, respect and all that stuff is earned and trust is earned. But at some point, if we don't bear nothing, you're not going to get nothing out of it. You know, so we have to be willing. But, but that's what it's about. It's about forging relationships with people. It's about coming alongside one another and say, hey, man, I'm one beggar showing another beggar where to get some bread. You know, it ain't about holding rent. We don't care about that. It's like, I'm keeping who I am. I'm coming to hang with the men and let, let's chop it up because we're all in a place of need. We're all in a place of, we need to be constantly filled fresh with the Holy Spirit multiple times throughout the day. It's never just, I've been, I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and that's it. Pfft, forget it. You can't live off that old thing that happened. You need that new wine and new wineskins throughout each and every day. That's how you roll hard in the Christian life. That's how you don't fall out. That's how you finish your race, is to constantly be in, in, in communion with the Lord. But these things are so important. All right, let's go ahead and get into these verses. I will try my best, Lord willing, not to take up much of your time. All right, James 1.1, 1, 1. it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dis, uh, dispersion. Greetings. Okay, so James. Several men named James mentioned in the New Testament. Again, most of the Bible scholars believe that just this James the Just is the half-brother of Jesus Christ, the one who was used, inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen this book. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 says... Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Again, as I mentioned at the beginning of this message, James also became a leader of the church in Jerusalem. And there are other men mentioned in the Bible named James. 
James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, the first apostle martyred and also known as James the Less. Um, I don't necessarily need to read that verse, but uh, if you want to know about that, you can read it in Mark chapter 15, verse 40. James, the son of Alphaeus, another of the 12 disciples. That's in Matthew chapter 10, verse 13. James, the father of the other apostle Judas. That's in Luke chapter 6, verse 16, if you're interested in looking that up. The writer of this letter is the same James who received a special resurrection appearance of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7 tells us this, and I'll read this. It says, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. You see, this was probably because the cause of his, this was probably the cause of his conversion, seeing uh, the, the resurrected Christ. I mean, how could, he not, how could he not know the truth after it's been revealed to him like that? in bodily form it blow his mind like of course <laughs> of course i'm, I'm gonna honor and praise you i i trust you now because you were killed i saw you on that cross i saw you on that tree hanging and how in the world are you like this now because he lives outside of space and time because he's god he created all things he's not bound by our our, our, our physical dimensions he's not bound by a, a human fleshly body When he did follow Jesus, he followed with great devotion, you know, and, and we need to think for ourselves when you make that switch, you know, uh, some of my, you know, my friends in Christ. I have a few friends in Christ that, you know, um, we rode in the world together. We did, you know, we were went hard in the world. We did grimy things in the world. We lived a fleshly life. And it's like. As hard as you lived in the world, as much as you did in the world, shouldn't you go that much harder for Jesus when you get saved? Shouldn't you devote that much more of yourself and be enamored with Christ and, and be so, so, have such a desire to please him that you would do anything for him? This is where our brother James is right here. When he got converted, he followed Jesus Christ with great devotion in early history in church says that James was such a man of prayer that his knees had developed these large, thick calluses, making them look like knees of a camel. This is how much this man was on his knees in prayer. And I'm not being legalistic and I'm not saying you got to spend 10 hours a day in prayer like you're in a monastery. But there's a reason why somebody prays fervently. Why does the Bible say Pray without ceasing. And God knows we can't be on our knees all day long. But that's the same sentiment as dwell with God. Have God in all your dealings. Not just some. Not just when it's convenient. Not just when it comes upon you to think about inviting God in. Invite God in everything. <laughs> that's how you and I bear much good, healthy, spiritual fruit. Is by Allowing him to dwell with us and us communing with him in everything. Invite him in. He will illuminate every area and circumstance and situation in your life. And you'll never have lack of nothing. That's what it really means to be truly blessed. That's what it means to be truly enriched in the Lord. It's not about monetary things. You can have material things, but I'm telling you, whether you're poor or rich, if you don't have the blessing of Christ, you ain't got nothing, and you'll be miserable. I want the blessing of the Lord on everything I do, and everywhere I go, I want to bring the Lord. I had a conversation with a, with, with a friend of mine, my brother that came to a service last week, and, and, you know, we had to hang out, and, you know, there's some things going on, and so, you know, we're doing ministry, and you know, we're talking and I'm not shy about what I'm saying. We're speaking the truth. We're not being overly loud, but I'm not on the hush about talking about Jesus. I don't care who's around. And there's a young couple that came and sat next to us. And, you know, they, you know, when you're young and no discretion, dude's all kissing on his girlfriend and this and that. And, and we're talking. And, you know, they stayed about five minutes. And uh, all of a sudden they got up and left. I said, you know what? That's the Holy Spirit convicting people and saying that they didn't want to hear all that they didn't want to hear all that so they bounce or the lord's just like you know what no I, you know, my, my brothers are having a my children are having a conversation don't need that in our midst when we're, we're talking about spiritual things you know 
But, but I'm talking about just having the Lord with you in everything you do. It's so important, church. Speaking of uh, his devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, it also says that this James, the James the Just, was martyred in Jerusalem being pushed from a high point of the temple. Yet the fall did not kill him, and on the ground he was beaten to death, even as he prayed for his attackers. Sound familiar? Sounds like Stephen, right? <laughs> Sounds like Jesus. <laughs> should use Jesus before Stephen, but in any event, you get the point. <laughs> These men <laughs> experienced horrible physical death. And yet, Lord, forgive them not. They, not. they know not what they do. Praying for their attackers. Who does that? It's like the same person who has stage four cancer and counts it as joy through the trial. It's the person who's filled with the divine Holy Spirit of God and is able to see clearly what is really going on. And their hearts break for these people that are lost. They don't revel. They don't take gladness in the fact that these people are lost. It breaks their heart. God hates that people are lost. He is so saddened by the fact that people of his creation are choosing to go to hell rather than to dwell in heaven with him forever. And he's trying all he can to get people to understand that Jesus Christ is the only answer. But dare I say, if people are hungry, they will eat. If people are hungry, they will come to the table. Our job, our responsibility is not to force anybody to the table of the Lord's. Our responsibility, our duty is to be the best table setters we could possibly be. We make it clear. We make it presentable without compromise, in love, and then leave it upon that individual. Because every individual has to make the decision for themselves. Who is Jesus Christ? The application is this. Our conversion is... And Jesus Christ must be life-altering. There should be activities and ways of thinking that are forever changed by the life-saving grace of Jesus Christ. Not a 12-step group, not some drug intervention group. I get it, but you know, Jesus has his own local ones. Victory Outreach. They're, they're, they're doing... And I don't even know any of those people personally, but, but I, know of, I know of their history and I know what, what, what they represent, and they represent Jesus Christ. They bring Christ into the situation to intervene, not some 12-step group to try to get people off of dope and get people off of alcohol. Their antidote is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the only one. But it's so true. As we get chained, as we are converted, there should be things that fall off. Because that old nature no longer has control over you and me. You may be tempted. If you fall into temptation, then your faith needs to grow stronger. But you're only tempted. You're freed from all that stuff. All those bad memories, all that bad history, all that bad past of who wronged you and bad choices you made. You're freed from all that. The Bible says from the east is the west. It's so far that the Lord determines not to see that anymore. He says you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. But we need to recognize our identity in him and recognize what we've been delivered and freed from. Amen? Amen. Bible goes on and says, A bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we stated early, earlier, earlier, excuse me, knowing that James was the half-brother of Jesus made, made his self-introduction all that more significant. He didn't feel the need to name drop. And a lot of times uh, we, we, all, we do that. Oh, so-and-so. It's like, well, as if, if it was somebody else, what, should, I not, should I not care? We do that. We even do that in the church. Oh, so-and-so's coming to speak. It's like, bruh, I don't care who it is. I don't care what title. I don't care how many followers they got on some Instagram, YouTube page. If they ain't got the Holy Spirit in them, I'm not following it. Care about the hype? It's not about that. We actually got it completely wrong in the church house if we think it's about this person because they're well-known. It's like, if Christ ain't well-known through them... Get out of it. And any real man or woman of God doesn't want to be known. Let me tell you that straight up. If you find pastors that are promoting themselves, that is from hell. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Because a true follower of Jesus Christ doesn't want the limelight, doesn't want the fame. They don't want to be out there like that. And whenever they receive accolades, they always defer to God. They don't take it for themselves. That's a false teacher. And that's the danger of blowing up. 
We've taken so much of the world culture and implemented it in the church. We are not to operate as the world does. We are not to operate like VH1, MTV, BET. No, we don't do that, man. This is the church of Jesus Christ. The Lord brings the income. He brings the increase. That's why we never promote, oh, yeah, we got an offering. I don't care about that. The Lord will keep these doors open if he sees fit. I don't need to tell y'all to give. What is that? Some churches run around with that bag two times in a service. For what? It's not good. It's not good. The, 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 the order's wrong. Now, see, now I'm getting off track, but these are things that, that, that I see on a daily basis, and it's not okay. We need to get back to the scriptures, to the real mission of what the Lord called us to do. Again, James didn't promote himself as the brother of Jesus Christ, rather a bondservant. The application is this. Jesus was more than James's brother. He was his Lord. <laughs> That's what the whole thing was. He's like, I'm not claiming you like that, but you're my Savior, you're my Lord. It's the same thing with Mary. You know, we don't, she don't need no statue. She had other kids, so that throws that whole thing out the window. And second of all, she was as, as in much desperate need of salvation as you and me. Just because she had favor by the Lord and was given that, that great gift of, of birthing our Savior and our Lord doesn't mean that she didn't need to be saved. She needed to be saved. She needed salvation. But yeah, you'd say that to some people and they're like, oh man, that's the impardonable sin. No, it's not. Grieving the Holy Spirit, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is. Being told over and over again, he's revealed himself to you. That's the only unforgivable sin. Bond servant. I don't have time to get into it, but it's a Greek word. It translates "dublos." It's probably better simply translate again "slave," bond servant, someone who, who's in uh, permanent, perpetual servitude to another. Lord is also an important word. It's translated in the in the Greek ancient word "kurios." It simply means the master of someone who's a slave. In the context, James is considering Jesus to be God. And then we see in this statement, it says to the 12 tribes. What James meant by this reference to the 12 tribes is difficult to understand. The question is whether James wrote this, to, this letter to only to Christians from a Jewish background or to all Christians. Certainly this letter does apply to all Christians, yet James probably wrote this letter before Gentiles were brought into the church, right? The historical context, context at least before Gentile Christians appeared in any significant number. Um, again, the 12 tribes, this is a, a Jewish figure of speech that sometimes referred to the Jewish people as a whole. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28 says, Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. All right. Also, I'll refer to Matthew chapter 10, verse 6. It says, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay. And then we see this next statement, which says they are scattered abroad. At this time in history, the Jewish people were scattered all over the world. And there was a Christian presence amongst most Jewish communities throughout the world. It's interesting because, I mean, you look at even up to date in our current history, um, you know, Yes, the Jews continue to be scattered. They're all throughout the world. There's, they're, they're, they're in Israel. They're here. They're in other places in the world. Um, there's a large majority of Jewish people Jew, with Jewish heritage that actually have a stakehold in Hollywood, in the, in the entertainment, in the, in, in the film, and the, in, in, in the music industry. It's very interesting. Um, you know, so we need to pray for those, for those brothers and sisters that they would get turned around and that way they would get convicted because you, know you know the garbage that's coming out of Hollywood and L.A. is not good at all. But um, all that stuff is so true. Josephus uh, wrote that there is no city, no tribe, where, whether Greek or barbaric, barbarian, which Jewish law and Jewish customs have not taken root. Since this was written for the body of Christians as it exists at that time, this is also a letter for us today. In many ways, we listen to the book of James because it echoes the teaching of Jesus. There are at least 15 um, allusions to the Sermon on the Mount by James. A man who knew the teaching of Jesus and took it seriously wrote this letter. He, he, he had a dedicated life 
and his response to, to the salvation given to him, he ran with it and he, his desire was to obey and to share his truth with the world. The greetings. Again, this salutation was a customary Greek way of opening a letter. Paul, in his writings, he never used it. He preferred to salute his readers with the word of grace and peace. Um, but here, James uses this more as a customary greeting. All right, and let's like, look at these last two verses. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Okay, this is that phrase that everybody loves. <laughs> Count it all joy when you fall into various tri- uh, trials. James is regarding this as it's inevitable. I could wish it away. I could pray it away. Man, I'm going to face trials. There's just no way around it. It just is going to happen. He said, not if, but when you fall into various trials. You see, at the same time, trials are occasions for joy, not discouraging resignations. The application is simply this. We can count it all joy in the midst of trials because they are used to produce patience. Trials produce patience within us. You see, when you fall into, not going step by step, not being tippy-toe, but literally being plunged into. Have you ever felt like you've just been plunged into a situation? Have you had, come on, talk to me, church, be real. Have you had a situation where you're like, man, everything was going good, and all of a sudden, what in the world? How did I, what is going on? (laughs) These people are just acting crazy. Or this and had that happen, and all of a sudden, you just got all these calamities coming upon you. That's being plunged into trials. When you are so surrounded that there's no escaping them. Like David was being distressed in Psalm 116 uh, verse 3. It says, the snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. This is what David felt many times. Maybe you felt like that in your life. But it's going to produce patience in us. Patience is the ancient word, hupomene. This word does not describe some kind of passive waiting, but an active endurance. The ancient Greek word, hupomene, comes from hupo, under, and meno, and to stay under and abide. At its root, it means to remain under. It has the picture of someone lifting a heavy load and choosing to stay under it. Instead of trying to escape, um, think of someone, you know, bench pressing, right? When you're lifting all kind of weight, even if you're just lifting 245 plates and a 45 Olympic bar, man, if you let go, you're going to crush your esophagus and mess yourself up. So you got to stay under the weight. You have to, you got to bear up under that. And that's what spiritually speaking, uh, patience this hupomene that we develop as we stay under the load of the trials that we're, we're facing, that the Lord is allowing in our lives. Instead of running away and saying, I'm denouncing the Lord, and now I'm just running away to my safe place, which really he's the only safe place, <laughs> but it's to bear up under. Patience can be described as the frame of mind which endures. So you want to have an enduring faith. A faith that's going to be able to endure the testings and the trials of life. You don't want this mamsy-pamsy kind of faith. When the first time something hits the fan, you're done. And you fall apart. And you're broken. And you're, you're not able to be repaired. No, no, no. You need to be like the OG Christians used to be. They, were, they, they went hard for Christ. You know? You know, it's been said that all the commentaries, the most of the commentaries that are good, the people that wrote those commentaries are dead. <laughs> because they, they, you know, I'm not saying they're not cut from a different cloth nowadays, but, you know, it's just there was a way of going about things that some of this modern stuff, it doesn't pull to. That's, that, that also goes back to, you know, be careful what, what Bible translation you're reading. It is true, you know. Uh, you know, the more you get into, the more, you know, it's just you know, paraphrasing. It kind of becomes a little little funky. You want to go, you know, King James, New King James, ESV, stuff like that. You start getting into, I mean, I have a new, I have a new Living Translation Bible. It's cool for some stuff, but, you know, you just got to be careful. Um, you talk to me after I have a chart that has all that stuff. Shows you what's good, what's not good. Sorry, got off track. <laughs> 
Faith is tested through trials, not produced by trials. The application is this. Trials reveal what faith we actually do have. (laughs) It reveals if your faith is strong or small. Not because God doesn't know how much faith we have, but so that our faith will be evident to ourselves and to those around us. We need to realize where we're at. And so God allows things to happen so we can realize, man, I'm kind of stinking it up in this area. And I need to, I need, I need to press into the Lord more so I can be a, 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 little, a little more patient, a little stronger in these areas. It's not a bad thing. He shows it. He reveals it so that we can be like, okay, Lord, I need your help. Because <laughs> he wants us to come back to him, say, I can't do this. Can you help me? And he'll help you. He'll help you. He'll give you everything you need in every circumstance of life. Trust the Lord. Think about this. Think about the refiner's fire, right? When, when gold and precious metals have to have all of that bad stuff purged out of them so they can be a viable, good, valuable metal or jewel, they go through the refiner's fire. And for that, for that material, it must be painstaking. I know it's an inanimate object, but there's a reason why that analogy is there. All the sludge, all the bad stuff that's not worth nothing comes out. And what is left with is the the blacksmith can actually see the reflection in the precious metal. And now they know it's ready. It's the same thing as us. Christ is going to put us through trials in life until he can see his reflection clearly in us. You see, we were created in the moral image and character of God, but it's unrefined at birth because we have that carnal, sinful, first Adam nature welling up inside of us. So we got to get saved. Once we get saved, we begin our sanctification journey, (laughs) you know, like uh, Wizard of Oz down the yellow brick road. And through that sanctification process, we should be looking more and more like the moral image of Christ. Right. Amen. That's the whole point. And you go through and you go through pain to get there. Just like Jesus went through pain to secure your salvation and my salvation. You know, nothing, nothing worth having is earned or, 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 or gained without pain. There's, it's just because we live in a fallen, sinful world. I like this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Don't, don't, don't lose me. I just got a few more minutes. I know we're running a little bit late, but I'm going to finish up in a minute here. Um, it says, faith is, a vi- is vital to salvation as the heart is vital to the body. Hence, the javelins of the enemy are mainly aimed at this essential grace. So it's very important that our heart is protected and our heart is in Christ. If trials do not produce faith, what does? Well, Romans chapter 10 verse 17 tells us, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I can't explain it (laughs) other than supernaturally, Faith begins to be built in us as we hear, understand, and trust in the Lord's word. Notice that James did not want anyone to think that God sends trials to break down or destroy our faith. Therefore, we, can, we will come back to this point later on in the chapter, but it produces patience. He, he, he's not trying to break us. That's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to break your will. God is trying to get you to understand, get me to understand, and rely and trust in him more. And that's the difference between God and Satan, or one of the differences between the two. But church, be wary of this. Patience is not, does not inevitably produce, is not inevitably produced in times of trial, because it's a, it's a, it's a decision. There's many people that, that go through difficult things and there's no patience that's born. There's no patience that's grown. You see, because it's in difficulties in receiving this patience, if unbelief and grumbling are received, trials will produce bitterness and discouragement. You see, there's Christians that go on the whole opposite end. They just get begruddled and discouraged and beaten down and they're not happy, and they're not seeking the Lord. They start even to curse the Lord. They reject Him because they're not happy with their circumstances. That's not the way we're supposed to go. We're supposed to run to Him, not run from Him. This is why James tells us to count it all joy. To count it all joy is faith's response to a time of trial. Some interpret that James is asking his readers to enjoy their trials but this is completely inaccurate. This is not what he's saying. He did not say that they must feel it all joy or that trials are joyful. You guys are sensible people. No one raised their hands when I said who enjoys trials because they suck. 
Nobody enjoys them, but it's what's produced in the process of us going through a trial that we're supposed to be focused on. It says, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The work of patient endurance comes slowly and must be allowed to fully bloom. Patient endurance is a mark of the person who is perfected and complete, lacking nothing. This term comes from the world of sacrifice where only a potential sacrificial animal that was judged to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, was fit to offer to God. This is what the Old Testament was all about, the Day of Atonement. Everybody had to bring some spotless animal and it had to be sacrificed so that their sins could be forgiven. It meant that the animal had to be tested and approved. Perfection, complete maturity is found only in perfect faith in God. This is why it's important for us to stay clinging to Christ no matter what. More specifically, James uses the concept of endurance and steadfastness or perseverance to describe the ability to trust God more and more. Think of a marathon runner. You know, they run super hard, they run super far. Why? Because they've trained, because they have the endurance to go for hours on end. Uh, the Tour de France, the bikers, I mean, that's crazy. I don't know who, I could never do that. But I don't train for that. But people who, who train their bodies and their minds to be able to focus on that goal. So for us spiritually, we need to train our minds and our bodies to be so focused on the goal of, of, of being with Christ for eternity that we're going to be able to endure the long haul of this life and go wherever the Lord calls us to go. Amen? Many avoid trials and difficulties in life, but instead we should make the most of our trials by letting endurance and trusting in God through other trials create the result in us that it is going to do, which is more maturity and more trust in God. Remember, I'll end with this. Remember when uh, Jesus addressed the church of Philadelphia? He encouraged them to continue on holding on to the faith and the great reward that awaited them. Revelations chapter, excuse me, Revelation Chapter 3, verse 10 tells us, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world. I will try those who dwell upon the earth. Simply put, church, may we be those who recognize the things that we are called to go through are truly what God has allowed because he's trying to bless us through that. And may we be those that stand up underneath the weight and the and 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 the difficulties of trials, knowing that we'll come out of them unscathed. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we, we thank you just for the fact that you take the time in your word to reveal to us everything that we need to know. Lord, you show us beforehand what we're going to come up against. Maybe not specifically to the T, but you give us a general understanding that, that difficulties are going to face the Christian. Father, may we be those who hide ourselves in you. May we be the apple of your eye. Would you hide us underneath the shadow of your wings and keep us safe that we may be able to withstand the day of evil when it comes. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.